Hey, good morning, brothers and sisters. Man, what a privilege it is to worship with you. And uh, hey, don't you love our choir? How fantastic are these men and women? I'm really grateful for the time they put in, especially this season, to accentuate our worship. It makes me so happy to sing with them. Hey, if you have your Bible with you, uh, would you please open up to the book of Luke? We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35 this morning. Um, while you're turning there, I'm really excited about next Sunday, uh, Sunday being Christmas Eve, regular service at 9, our carol service at 4. Uh, some of you are probably thinking, uh, which service should we go to on that day? If you can only pick one, my recommendation is to pick both. Listen, our ancestors used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. I don't want to hear I can only go to one. We got two opportunities to gather together and praise the Lord. And I hope you will join us uh, next Sunday morning and then Sunday afternoon as well. It's going to be a sweet time together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Also, you may need to bear with me a bit. I'm dealing with a little bit of a head cold, but should be self-contained and okay. How should we respond to the birth of a child? What is the socially acceptable way to respond to someone's newborn? Whenever you see a newborn, certainly oohs and ahs are in order for that baby, and uh, I will always remember my first response to my firstborn. Uh, It was a hard labor for my wife. It was hard for me. I could barely watch the football game for all the noise in the room, but somehow I ate my chips and persevered, and my wife, um, as all women are, was really incredible. Uh, It was a it was indeed a hard labor, and uh, all of a sudden, the doctor came in and said, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. Things are not going as we want them to go. And so she was wheeled into the uh, operating room. I was in there with her. The doctor was fantastic, did what had to be done. The nurse uh, took our baby Emma, later on my wife's chest. It, all this was just happening in a blur. And then after a little bit, took the baby and, and they went to go clean her up and, and do their initial tests and all those things. And then the nurse said, Mr. Busby, would you like to come see your daughter? I said, yes. So I, I walked over in the same room and there she is. And I'll never forget the first words out of my mouth. I said, wow. You can play ring toss on that head. (laughs) I know. I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging. The nurse was not impressed. I'll tell you that right now. But, you know, they don't tell you in Lama's class that your baby's head could come out looking like a Christmas tree. They don't prepare you for this. It was... It was probably in one of the books I was supposed to read that my wife put on the nightstand next to the bed... Um, but there are better ways to respond to the birth of a child, for sure. Not my proudest moment. Uh, Just as there are indeed wrong ways to respond to the birth of a baby, there's a wrong way to respond to the birth of Christ as well. And this is the season in which we have to consider these things. What does it mean for us to respond wrong 
to the birth of Jesus. It looks like a lot of things. It can be tradition without transformation. It's holiday without hope. It's festivities without faith. Some of the most Christmassy people we know respond incorrectly to the birth of Christ because they never think of Christ. Just as there's a wrong way to respond to Christ at Christmas, there's a right way to respond to the birth of Jesus. We have this holiday on our calendars as an annual reminder to us that the incarnation of Christ requires a response. It is a gift to us, not a burden, that once a year we stop all of life to think about the glory that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And his arrival requires a response from us. And who benefits from a right response? Well, you do. You benefit from a right response to Christ because Christ came for you. He loves you. So when we roll through this holiday mindlessly or even in active avoidance, we miss all the joy that's possible. But when we, like Simeon, the man we're going to read about today, when we embrace Christ, we experience that joy that endures every grief and every heartache with unstoppable hope. So this passage that we're studying this morning is about a man named Simeon, a very old man who encounters the Christ child. And his response to the Christ child is informative for us. This is a heart check type of passage. We would sit with this passage like we're looking in a mirror and just evaluate where's my heart these days? What's, what's my praise like? How, how am I in terms of my following of Jesus? And Simeon's encounter with the Christ child puts all of this in front of us. My goal in preaching this passage today is for you to evaluate your response to Jesus during this most familiar season. We have to make sure our hearts are right with him. Simeon teaches us Three ways to respond to the birth of Jesus. And I want you to follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Jesus has been born. Uh, The angels appeared to the shepherds. They went to all the land telling everyone what has happened. These glorious things have occurred. And now Mary and Joseph have left Bethlehem. They have traveled to the holy city of Jerusalem and at the temple complex to offer sacrifices on behalf of their newborn son. And that's where our story picks up. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Follow along with me as I read. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel." His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, 
and a sword that will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. How should we respond to Jesus at Christmas? Simeon sees the Christ child, and his response informs our response today. There are three ways this passage encourages us to respond to Jesus at Christmas. And the first of those is with hopeful expectation. Baseline for you and I as followers of Jesus, as those who love Jesus, is that we would be characterized in this season with hopeful expectation. Our passage begins with an introduction to Simeon. We're given several uh, tidbits of information about who this man was, what made him unique. First of all, we're given his address. He lives in Jerusalem. He lives in the holy city. Second, we're told about his character. He is righteous and devout. That's telling us that he's not just a man who's religious because there are a lot of people around Simeon who are religious, but religious doesn't mean righteous. Religious doesn't mean devout. It just means you do the thing you're supposed to do. That's not Simeon. He is righteous before God. He is devout in his devotion to the Lord. Third, we're told about his focus. We're told that he's looking forward to Israel's consolation. What's that mean? You just sung about it. What does it mean that he's looking forward to Israel's consolation? Well, it means that Simeon sees the world as it truly is. He sees the world decaying under the weight of sin. And as a result, God's people live in the grief that comes from that sin. And Simeon knows that God promised long ago to comfort his people. That's the consolation he looks forward to, God's comfort of his people in a world that is marred by sin. The fourth thing we're told about Simeon is his uniqueness. We're told the Holy Spirit was on him. That tells us that Simeon was a man set apart by God for this very moment. Uh, not all people had the Holy Spirit on them in Simeon's day. Today, things are different. Under our new covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. That wasn't true in Simeon's day, but it was true for Simeon. The Lord had set him apart for a very special purpose. And the last thing we're told about Simeon in verse 26 is that he had this word from the Lord that he carried with him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Here's this word from the Lord that marked Simeon's life. He has a promise that the consolation he's looking forward to is going to come in the form of a person. That consolation will come through the Lord's Christ or God's anointed one, a person who will bring consolation, comfort, salvation to the Lord's people. The promise to Simeon was that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Now, we're not told Simeon's age, but the story insinuates to us that he's very old. I mean, in the next paragraph, he, he begins his song by saying, now dismiss your servant. He's, he's ready to die. He's a very old man, it would seem. I think there's something glorious about that in this story. And we aren't told how long he waited on the fulfillment of the promise. But again, there's a sense that it was a long wait. 
And so in Simeon, we see a picture of Israel in miniature. Simeon's weight is Israel's weight, and it has been a long and grueling wait for Israel for the arrival of their Messiah. That weight goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where God promised that Eve's offspring would crush the head of the serpent. And that promise next went to Abraham. Abraham was promised that through him all nations on earth would be blessed. Not just little Israel, but all nations on earth blessed through his offspring. The promise was then reiterated to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God told David that an everlasting king would come from his line. And the anticipation of the Messiah is then seen in the book of Psalms, in Psalms like Psalm 2, in Psalm 22. In Psalm 110, since these psalms were Israel's ancient hymn book, God's people were singing about the Messiah's coming. And while they were singing, the prophets were speaking. And so prior to the exile, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. The prophet Isaiah told of the Messiah born of a virgin in Isaiah 7. The prophet Micah said that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And then during the exile, God's people were fortified by visions from the prophet Ezekiel of the shepherd prince in Ezekiel 34, and also fortified by Daniel's vision of the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7. After the exile, the prophet Zechariah spoke of the humble king coming on a donkey, And Malachi spoke of the coming of the messenger of the covenant. And after Malachi, 400 years of silence. Nothing. A long, quiet wait. But God did not forget his promise to save. Those 400 years of silence come to an abrupt halt with the birth of Christ. And then on this day in particular, Simeon's wait is over which means Israel's wait is over, Christ has come. And so Simeon teaches us to wait with hopeful expectation. How good are you at waiting? Not so great. None of us are. We feel like waiting is wasted time, but I'm telling you, the waiting is where we meet God in His most holy, holy holiness. The waiting is where He forms and shapes us into the kind of people He wants us to be. The waiting is a promised land unto itself. And here, you and I are to be like Simeon, waiting. What are we waiting for? Because Christ was already born. So what you and I wait on now is is Christ's second coming. That's our hopeful expectation, is for the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you belong to the Lord's Messiah, then you are more like Simeon than you realize. The Holy Spirit is in you, and the Holy Spirit is your guide just as he guided Simeon. And like Simeon, you have a word from the Lord that he is coming back. Now, I wonder if people were dismissive of Simeon. We don't have commentary on that. Like, how was he treated? How did people talk to him? Because I'm guessing he wasn't very quiet about this promise he held. And I wonder if maybe he faced criticism and pushback. If people thought, that's just the rambling of an old man. I mean, Simeon, how can you say Israel needs consolation? I mean, have you, have you looked around lately? Check out this temple. I mean, it is decked out top to bottom in gold. 
We've never had it so good. We have so much money. We have power. We have influence with the government. We have the temple. We have the sacrifices. We have everything we need. Simeon, how can you say we need consolation? It seems like we're being well taken care of. And in fact, look, you're so old. There's just, there's no need to keep coming back to the temple and to be waiting here. Go home. Be old. We'll tell you if some magic baby shows up. We'll come and get you for sure. Just go home and everything is going to be okay. Similarly, Christians today face criticism for our belief that all of history is marching towards the return of Jesus Christ. And that's okay. I'm not worried about it. You shouldn't be worried about it either. It's not a big deal because we have a word from the Lord on this. I don't need the world to validate what Christ has promised. His word is enough, and He's coming back, friends. His promise to us that closes the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. And I don't care who looks at a watch when those words are read or who looks at a calendar with a smug look on their face when those words are held to. I believe the words of Christ, and you should too. We wait with hopeful expectation of His second coming. His first coming gives us confidence in His second coming. And I promise you, it is not as far away as you might think or others might say. It is any day now, any moment, like a thief in the night, he can come back. And so we live with this hopeful expectation. We see the world as it is, broken under the decay of sin, but a better day is coming. Christ is setting everything right. It will not be this way forever, but rather God is victorious in Christ and the Holy Spirit guides us all the way to that eternal day held by God's grace. So a better day is coming. God the Holy Spirit holds us perfectly until that day when you check your heart today, are you waiting with hopeful expectation? There's a second way you and I must respond to the birth of Christ, and that is we must respond with praise. We've got to respond with praise for our salvation. And that's what Simeon does. Starting in verse 27, he enters the temple and then he erupts in song. Verse 27 tells us that the Holy Spirit guided Simeon in to enter the temple uh, at the same time that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus for their customary sacrifices. Simeon didn't know them. They hadn't crossed paths at some other point in their lives. They didn't know Simeon. Had no, they hadn't heard of the old man who hung out at the temple every day. They didn't know who he was. But God knew who everybody was. And he brought them together for this unique and special moment. And I think it's fun sometimes when you read the Bible to not just plow through the sentences, but to go slow and just try to engage your imagination. What was that moment like? I'm not saying Scripture is insufficient in its description of things, but what was it like? What was it in this interaction that resulted in Mary and Joseph being amazed I mean, imagine their surprise. They walk into the temple. They are nobodies. They are peasants. They don't come with fanfare or an announcement. They're just two little travelers coming in with their baby, doing what they're supposed to do. And they get stopped by this old man, I think maybe with big eyes. And he's so excited. 
And he begins to speak these beautiful things over their child. It was a powerful moment for everybody. It was the moment Simeon had been waiting on for so long. And Simeon's song is awesome. I think it's spontaneous. I don't think he had written this out, tucked it away in his robe for that day, and then all of a sudden here's Mary and Joseph. The Holy Spirit tells him this, this is the one. He's like, hang, hang on. And then he unrolls it. And I don't think it happened that way. I think out of the overflow of his heart, like he had been meditating on these promises from the prophets his whole life. He had received this word from the Lord, and so he, he, I think he invested himself in the word of God so that in this moment, what comes out is the overflow of his heart. He didn't have to think it because he had been breathing it his whole life. And in this moment, he erupts in praise for what God has done. The words of Simeon's song come largely from the prophet Isaiah. Simeon's use of Isaiah's lyrics tell us that Simeon believed what Isaiah said about the Messiah and that this one, this child, this was the one that Isaiah had foretold of so long before. And so in verses 29 and 30, Simeon praises God for keeping his promise. He begins by saying, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Those words sound to me like the Apostle Paul, who near the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I mean, these are the words of a man of age who is ready to be with his God. Oh, you can dismiss your servant. You fulfilled your word to me. You kept me here for this. Take me home. Verse 30, he says he can die because his eyes have seen God's salvation in this child. And Simeon isn't the only one to see this salvation. Verse 31 says that this has been prepared in the sight of all people. It's a line from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. Then in verse 32, Simeon says, This baby who is the consolation of Israel is also a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Almost a direct quote of Isaiah 42, 6. So this baby is not just about bringing comfort to Israel, but to all of God's people who are Israel and non-Israel alike. And Simeon ends his song by saying that this baby is a light to the Gentiles and glory for Israel. Again, a quote from Isaiah 46, 13. Simeon's wait is over. Israel's wait is over. Our wait is over. In this child, God's word is fulfilled. The light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And so Christmas is a time to praise God. Last week, I challenged you to put this into practice. Were you with us last week? You remember? Did you do your homework last week? Your homework was to go home and to write out a list of things to praise God for. To make an itemized list, not just to say something generic like, God, I just praise you for every good thing. That's, that's an okay prayer, but a better prayer is a thoughtful prayer, an intentional prayer. What do you have to, be, to praise God for? Uh, so did you do that? Did you do your homework? This, if, if not, you're behind and you've got time to catch up, but you've got more homework on top of it now. One of our church members did this homework last week. He emailed me about it, and I was so glad that he did. He said he sat down and just, without even thinking hard, he just began to write out, here's all the things I'm, I can praise God for in my life. 
And he said just one after the other came. It wasn't hard work. And when he was done, he counted it up. He said he had 130 things listed there to praise God. 130. I bet you got 131. Easy. Easy. You've got things to praise God for in prayer and in worship. So that was last week's homework. You got to catch up. You don't want to be, you don't want your holidays to be spent doing makeup work. You want to get this done. But here's the new assignment you got to add to the top of it. I want you to create another list alongside that one of things that you praise Jesus for, just for Him, His character, His work. Who he, not just the things in your life, though we should and we must praise him for these things and for his work on our behalf, but for Jesus himself. When is the last time you had a prayer that was solely composed of praise to the Father for the character and the work of the Son? That was your total prayer. Can you praise him? Can you praise Jesus for forgiving all your sins, past, present, and future. You thought he only forgave you for the sins you confessed? What about the sins you have not confessed, either willfully because you're so embarrassed of them, or just because you are so ignorant of your own sinfulness? He's already forgiven all of those as well. He is gracious in his forgiving. Can you praise him for that? Can you praise him for healing all of your diseases, the diseases in your body, in your heart, and in your mind, and though it would be wonderful to be healed here and now, you can praise Him for all the healing you are already receiving in the gospel and will receive on that eternal day when there is no more sickness or dying or pain. Can you praise Him for redeeming your life from the pit, the pit of your own making by your own sin, or the pit that comes from the, the pressures of this world or the actions of others against you? Can you praise Him for an all-pit redemption? Can you praise Him for crowning you with His love and compassion? He took all your guilt and shame. Your conscience is no longer under the burden of the law and condemnation, but instead, by His grace, He has lifted you up. Can you praise Him for His mercy and grace? Can you praise Him for satisfying your desires with good things, for the smiles of the children in your life? For the taste of chocolate, for the smell of fresh cut cedar, for encouragement that you received from a friend, or for the sounds of great music. There are innumerable reasons for you to praise God for all that is yours in Christ at Christmas. This is a time for praise. Not plastic smiles, that's not what we're doing. Not pretend, but real heartfelt praise for who Christ is and what he has done for you. So we respond to the birth of Christ with hopeful expectation, with praise for our salvation, and finally, we respond to him by following Jesus. And we, we've got to do this. We must follow Jesus. Simeon, after his song, is not done with his messages just yet. He praises God for uh, all to hear, and then almost as an aside, we're told that this next little part was just for Mary. He speaks directly to her, and look at what he says to Mary in verses 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them and then told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined 
to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There's hard news in this good news. Jesus is light and glory, but not for all people. For many, he will cause their fall. They will speak against him. Their true hearts will be revealed, and what they do to Jesus will be like a death to Mary. You see, the birth of Jesus means both consolation and crisis. He is both salvation and a sword. And what exactly was Simeon talking about here? I'm not sure he fully, completely understood, and I'm not sure that Mary even fully, completely understood, but you understand because you've seen Good Friday and you've seen Easter Sunday. You know exactly what Simeon is talking about here. The Messiah will bring salvation through his own self-sacrifice. That's the sword that will pierce his mother Mary. Mary, who's saying, all generations will call me blessed, she's going to watch her son die in order to win the salvation of all those future generations who will call Mary blessed. We cannot separate Christmas and Easter. Jesus was born in order to die for the sins of God's people. And so we would ask this question, what does Jesus reveal about my heart And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to listen to what Simeon says here. Does the birth of Jesus mean your rise or your fall? The Bible says that those who oppose Jesus will fall in judgment, but those who turn to Jesus in faith will be lifted up, exalted, rescued, forgiven, saved. And since He loved you by dying for your sin and rising again three days after His death, then we must turn to Jesus in faith and live for his glory. Simeon's message to Mary is an invitation to all of us readers to consider our place with Christ. It is an invitation to follow him. Where are you located in this little paragraph? When Simeon talks to Mary, where are you? Are you Simeon? Nope. Are you Mary? Nope. We are the crowd around them hearing these words whose hearts are revealed. It's a call to you to leave this old life behind, to follow Jesus, to trust Him as your Savior. He calls you to His side today. And as a follower of Jesus, there's important encouragement here for you who are trying to live out your faith in places that are antagonistic to Jesus. When you read what Simeon says to Mary about how this world is going to treat her son, then you should not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes upon you. The world that crucified Christ is no friend to his church. And we don't win the world by joining them in their opposition to Christ, but instead we walk with Christ in love in front of the world and for the sake of the world. Simeon's message to Mary doesn't write off the world as pointless and hopeless, but rather as the target of Christ's life-changing love. That's the kind of person you got to be. you got to be a Simeon type of person as you walk with Jesus in a world that opposes him. 
I always go back to this prayer written by missionary martyr Jim Elliott. It's found in his journal, and I think it illustrates the point of Simeon's message to Mary here. Uh, Jim Elliott's prayer is this. He's prayed, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. I mean, how many times have you prayed, God, just let me be invisible in this setting? But no, Simeon inspires us to be fork-in-the-road type of people, to follow Jesus no matter the cost, because he is the ultimate crisis for the world and he is the only consolation for the world. Simeon's words to Mary call us to hold firmly to Christ in the way we live and in the witness we share. So how should we respond to the birth of Jesus? Simeon teaches us to respond in three ways. One is with hopeful expectation. Second is with praise to God. Third is to follow Jesus. What if you're not convinced? You might be sitting there thinking, and just Luke 2 again, I mean, can't we be more novel at Christmas time? And I feel like I've heard this message before, and yeah, pain on a smile and whatever, I'll just go through the motions. But I hope to convince you to evaluate your heart, to respond properly with one more piece of evidence. One more piece of evidence I think increases the importance of this story to the highest level. Did you see the Trinity in this story? Did you see it there? Our Trinitarian God is present here. Simeon is filled with the hopeful expectations of Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit. And Simeon praises God the Father for the birth of God the Son. And then Simeon foreshadows God the Son's crucifixion in his words to Mary. Spirit, Father, Son, all present in this scene. So if Simeon's response is attended by our triune God, then maybe your response is more important than you realized. And so it's evaluation time in light of all of these things. Will you face this grievous world with hope in our returning Christ? And will you live a life of praise for all that is yours in Christ? And will you follow Christ in a world that desperately needs Him? Hope fills our hearts. Praise fills our mouths. Following requires our hands and our feet. Every part of our being belongs to Him in our response to Christ who was born. This is the very work of heaven. It is the glory that fills our lives today because Christ has come and it's time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, let our response be right, not to ignore our heartache and difficulties, but rather to cling to the glory and the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Father, help us to respond this morning as Simeon did, with hope, with praise, by following with allegiance to Jesus Christ. Thank you for this light in our darkness. Thank you for this salvation that rescues us from the pain and the penalty of sin.
Thank you for so great a salvation as this. Thank you for our consolation in Christ. So, Lord, strengthen my brothers and sisters who are struggling this day, who are confused this day, who are weary this day. Lord, lift them from the pit by your mercy and grace. Lord, help them to rise as they cling once again to Christ, repenting, turning to follow Him, remembering His promises which are sure and true. Lord, let our lives, our mouths be filled with praise to Him. And I pray for any friends in here that are going through this holiday without hope or going through the festivities without faith. Let this be the day that new life comes to them as they consider the Christ child and what His coming means for them. Be their consolation, be their salvation, be their rescue and their hope as they turn from their old lives and go to follow Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.